Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. With your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Welcome, everyone, to, I, I think this is officially episode 30 of us going through the Silmarillion uh, here on Window on the West from TheWondering.com. Uh, this week, we're going to be doing chapter 21 of Turum Turumbar, and uh, we are back. We did we did a few interviews in the last three weeks, which was a lot of fun, kind of a nice change of pace, and I, I think we're, we're going to be doing more of that. Um, just so happens, some vacations, uh, me, I'm, I'm actually in South Dakota right now. I'm in a walk-in closet in order to record this so that's why it might sound we're gonna bl- blame we're gonna blame but, all our problems on Daco- the dakotas the, the, you know that south dakota is great we got the greatest the closest thing to the argonath here we i, I don't know if in the world now we, now you're the all United of a sudden states south dakota I'm, wow. <laughs> we the americans those of us who live <laughs> in the states the continental united states we have our very own just faces argonath in mount rushmore which is pretty impressive i like it, it is it's pretty it's large. Check it's a lot of rock that they had to blast. Uh, anyway, so we are we are jumping in to chapter 21 of Turin Turinbar, and uh, we're on a little bit more of a time crunch here. So we're gonna we're gonna skip our uh, all that is gold. We're not gonna have a fun little um, um, detour here, but we're gonna jump right into the episode. Before we do, we do have an extended podcast, which we'll be uh, talking more in depth about Turin and probably why this is my favorite story. Uh, which Dan and Michael thinks are a little weird, but we can dive into. That. We need to, <laughs> we we need to get you that a little bit logical eval, yeah. yeah. So all right. all of all of you freeloaders, you're going to get to hear Dan and Michael talk about the problems, <laughs> and then if you want to hear why Jonathan likes this story so much, you'll have to subscribe. Yeah, exactly. It'd be a lot of fun. So anyway, that you can get that by going to thewondering.com slash patron uh it's four dollars a month the first month is free you get access to our discord chat like i say every week you get access to our monthly chats which we just had one here on saturday and i did out here in south dakota believe it or not we had a nice chat and we all went through our 10 questions uh our 10 questions confessions from the comfy chair for all of us who are in that that was kind of fun uh so join us our last interview yeah he actually he actually knew the rings of the inferno which was impressive he did yeah our last interview with austin freeman was amazing he he was such a an an in-depth guy such an accessible way of like talking about tolkien and uh the depth that is there so yeah listen to that that was last week's episode uh austin freeman and check out his book yeah right there tolkien dogmatics which we'll probably talk about a little bit at the end of this if you missed it last week so without any further ado the wondering.com slash patron or hey you can also go to uh uh, uh, YouTube and pay an extra dollar because YouTube demands more money from us schlebs. Uh, and uh, we it's five dollars a month and it's not free for the first month, but you can do it through YouTube if it's easier for you. Just click the join button, you get access to Discord and all the other stuff too. Extended podcasts. Uh, so go ahead and do that. And right now we're gonna jump right into Dan's Big Thought. All right. So as as you all know, uh, I'm reading through the Cimmerillion for the first time. This is my first time going through this story. And it struck me immediately that this is a weird story. Um, The story of Turin is it's it's obviously like a tragedy. You know, he's he's cursed. He's living under the curse of Morgoth. And it's like everything he does, it like has the opposite intended effect. Like he, he, he just goes around and like 
ends up killing his friends. And, and later on in the story, he does a lot of other horrible things. And so it's interesting to me that Tolkien, I, I associate Tolkien with like the light is always beyond the reach of evil. Good always wins in the end. Kind of like that, that hoping, hoping for the good guys to win. And in this story, the good guy is not really a good guy. And the, the good things that he does usually hurts all the people around him. So it's, it's very strange to me. I don't, I don't quite get why Tolkien felt the need to put this in here. Um, one of the things that was that jumped out to me reading this for the first time was that Turin himself even uh, kind of feels he, he feels cursed himself. And it's not even if it's not explained to him in so many words, he just feels that himself. And he also names himself a couple times in this story. And the first one came up in this in this uh, section that we read for this for this episode um, where he he ends up accidentally killing somebody in Doriath and he runs away and he joins these outlaws and says, but Turin abode long among the outlaws and became their captain. And he named himself Nathan the wronged. So he's just kind of walking around with a chip on his shoulder. Like I am the wronged. This is my whole personality <laughs> now. Like this is my, I identify as the wronged. And I just thought that that's a very, that, that's a very, um, psychologically telling thing about this person that we're being introduced to that, that he's going around his whole life. I'm the wronged. Everyone always mm -hmm. wrongs. Me. Everyone always is after me. And I, I, I just thought that that was interesting that Tolkien introduces us to this character in that way. And he's wronged, like even his birth, right? He's, his dad is gone, right? Hurin, his dad, right? The, yeah. He's, he's locked up in, um, in Angband or on Angband, I guess, in a chair uh, by Morgoth. And so, uh, he starts out with this chip on his shoulder from the very, very, from, from the youth. And I, uh, see, I, I'm, I, there are things that I remember now from the um, the Children of Hurin book that are, there's far more details about characters in that book, uh, particularly the, the, the now, now I'm, I'm not going to say because I'm going to get it all wrong. But, uh, and so I feel like there are things missing in here. But, uh, you know, he was a, he wasn't exactly a great kid either, if I remember right, like, Maybe I'm not remembering that right. No, there are some there are some hints in his childhood. Yep. yep. Yeah. And but but uh, for those of you who want a more in depth um, uh, treatment, you can uh, wait for two years for us to review Children of Her. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm just oh. look, I'm, it's just the carrot, the the long just long term yeah. carrot. That's a, that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Before, so, so before, uh, before Jonathan moved away to Tennessee, he did give me the gift of the children of Hurin. Hurin. <laughs> That's right. And uh, now I'm wondering what that says yeah. about him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good book. It's the only other story that Tolkien wrote that is a full book by itself after he died. Right. Meaning it's not like the whole book is the story. You know, it's not like Baron and Luthien where you get just all the different versions of Baron and Luthien that he wrote over the years with one primary story in the middle. It's it's the whole thing. So, and this is, isn't it telling? I mean, this is the longest tale that we have and the most detailed. So as we go through this mm -hmm. chapter, mm -hmm. it, you're, you're going to get all kinds of details of what people did in specific instances, which are uh, very unlike most of the rest of the Silmarillion. Once in a while in the Silmarillion, before this point, you will be telling, told a tale and we'll tell, they'll, they'll say some detail about something, but this is much more in the beat the sort of narrative flow is much more like you're reading Beowulf, for example. I mean, it is very much, there are a lot of elements of this story, which ring echo Beowulf. Um, yeah. And, and um, 
and tragic and, and Oedipus Rex and uh, things like, I mean, there's, there's people under, I mean, he is Oedipus in a certain way as we'll find out by the end, but, but um, you know, he's under a curse of the gods and there are things that happen, which are hmm. Oedipal. Um, so there's a, there, there's a real um, shift in Tolkien. I, I've been, what I was saying before that we started recording, I think it's really true is it almost feels in the Silmarillion like Tolkien is doing a kind of, master class and here's how to write different kinds of literature like he took his hand at myth making a creation story in the beginning of the Silmarillion. then he shifted and we had a story of the the fall and corruption of a great the you know a great race in this case the noldor instead of not min in the like there, there would be in the bible but but in in his world in the noldor and then we shifted to a, a in my view, a very Arthurian romance in the story of Baron and Luthien, full of the most magic that you'll ever find in any story of Tolkien, most direct magic and, and some outlandish stuff too. I mean, it really is almost out of the pages of an Arthurian um, um, tale and legend. And now we've shifted to what is an incredibly dark, uh, very much a, in my view, an Anglo-Saxon, a dark Anglo-Saxon tale of a curse and the flaws of a great hero, a great man, a great warrior. Um, and and we have an incredibly, just a different kind of story. This reads differently than either The Fall of the Noldor. It reads differently yeah. than Luthien. Baron and Luthien reads differently than I, the Ina Lindelay. So I find it fascinating. And it's interesting. It's Is there another story that's about really one character in the Silmarillion? I don't think there is. Hmm. Yeah, it's the one only character. One that... So it just revolves around one person. I mean, there are lots of characters, obviously, in the story, but well, yeah, yeah. Um... This is Turin's story, whereas everything else is the story of Baron and Luthien. Well, the closest thing is you got to the two of them, but then the fall of Gondolin, mm -hmm. right? There's more. I mean, to the story of the just... creation of the Silmarils and the fall of the. I mean, it's all around Fionor, but then it yeah. shifts to the other Noldor later. But yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Um, but ultimately, yeah, interestingly, it, once this story is over, this quote unquote, this chapter anyway, which we're going to split into two parts. I don't know if we made that clear at the beginning, but two, we're or gonna, three probably actually, or three. Okay. I think, um, yeah, so yeah. we'll, we'll split into multiple parts, but, but this is, it becomes more than, I mean, we, we return to Hurin again after this story is done. Um, so, so there's a, uh, the, the, the bloodline of Hurin continues on in the story, yeah. but you're right. This may be the one that's really focused. And that's why maybe I see it more like a, Be a Beowulf story more, but it is yeah. very dark, yeah. very dark indeed. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. So let's, let's talk about some of the, the, the climactic moments in this here. And Daniel already mentioned how his, he, he starts off like he's, he's always got a negative attitude. And you think like his first sister, Lilith, which is laughter. She died. She right? lasts like for a his, sentence. She, yeah right yeah <laughs> she lasts for a sentence and 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 that's it then it's like born an evil like when she was three years old there came a pestilence to Hitlam, born on an evil wind out of angband and she died yeah mm. so morgoth uh, is just is sending plagues too interesting yeah in, interesting mm. touch not just yeah. orcs he said he sends plagues mm. but yeah. it, but his mother morwin sends him to live in doriath right with fingal and melian mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so and then she weirdly stays behind. Now the Easterlings are now now inhabit the land of Heathlum. They've been given it as a as a booby prize by Morgoth for their for their traitorous ways, and right. um, and so they now occupy the land uh, that the remnants of the men of that place um, used to, and who are the men are now enslaved. But Morwen is kind of untouched because so there's something 
terrible and a, a little uh, she's beautiful and fey in a way that you know the, so the easterlings are kind of uh, they 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 won't mistreat her as much but uh, so she sends Turin away to Doriath and then she won't come she stays and so Turin is raised in Doriath right but but right before or right as he's leaving she gives birth to another child named Neonor Mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is now mourning is the name m-o-u-r-n-i-n-g so right. we turned laughter into mourning mm-hmm. <sighs> and boy is it morning as we will find later on <laughs> yeah yeah so we go there and we meet some of the other characters that i really love like beleg is in there and we have mm-hmm. matt blung again and uh michael's favorite Sayron. Not, not not again <laughs> but i don't know but yep Sayros, sorry, Sayros, yeah. So, uh, so you're thinking, are you mixing them up with Dairon? So there's Dairon and Oh, Sayros. that might be it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Dairon, Dairon is uh, still around, apparently. I can't remember if he died or not. But uh, He's the same. anyway, but Sayros is uh, not long for this world. He doesn't like uh, Turin. So Turin stays there for a while, and then he goes out to fight on the marches, um, basically make a name for himself. For three years, he fights, and then he comes back, and he's rather disheveled, and he's mo- so he gets mocked by this Cyros elf who is uh who's um jealous of him and uh he um he rewards the elf the cyros his rival by uh beating him stripping him and making him run naked through the woods and off a cliff so and then he dies so cyros end of cyros and it says um But Turin, deeming himself now an outlaw and fearing to be held captive, refused Maglung's bidding. Mablung's bidding, that's Mablung is telling him, come back to the king and plead your case. And turned swiftly away and passed through the girdle, passing through the girdle of Melon, he came into the woods west of Syrian. And he joined himself to a band of such houseless and desperate men as could be found in those evil days lurking in the wild. And their hands were turned against all who came in their path, elves and men and orcs. So he immediately... So he he makes a mistake. I mean, responding to the insult wasn't a mistake, yeah. but probably driving the elf off a cliff to his death was a mistake. Yeah. Although he does that, I like. I think. I think we can't. We have to say what what Sayros said to to Turin, <laughs> which is, if the men of Hithlum are so wild and fell, of what sort are the women of that land? Do they run like deer, clad only in their hair? And so what does he what does he do? He strips him of all his clothes and makes him run like a deer clad only in his hair. So Turin takes what he says and throws it right back in his face. And yeah, I don't think he meant to kill him, but yeah. uh, he, he goes, certainly... uh, probably, probably, they probably look like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Right. Uh, but he yeah. does it to an elf, right? And the elves, we think of like how, how they thought of men, right? There are so many elves who think of men as such a as so much less valuable than elves, just like the elves thought of dwarves as so much less valuable, right? They're they're yeah, they're not worth our time. They're not worth like holding up in any high esteem. And so he probably thinks almost nothing of it. And, and but Turin is like, uh-uh, no, my father was Hurin, son of right. Ed's, we've got this line. You owe me because of who I am, really, ultimately too. Uh, and so he does not take well to that. And like you said, drives him off a cliff. But then you know, and then he he runs out. But he's offered, he's offered a way back. And like you said, Dan, he he refuses it. Like he he creates his own self-fulfilling prophecy that's what i was thinking of thank you yeah that he he's no no no. i can't be forgiven by the king i am i am nathan i am the wronged you know like i'm just i'm just gonna be stubborn and i'm just gonna be sticking stuck out here and i'm making my own home out here in the wilderness rather than going back and i remember asking myself when i first read this many years ago you know is he right to 
is, is there something forgivable about that? Or is this just pure character flaw? Because the king has forgiven him. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting mm-hmm. is we, we see Thingol in this story is, the, is a completely different person than he was in the story of Baron and Luthien. He's yeah. changed. He, yeah, he's agreed. a forgiving king. He takes care of this man. He's a fa- calls him his foster son. He, he bends over back, backwards for him in many ways through Belig as well as directly. And, and, uh, and, and so Thingol's now the, 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 the generous patron and the forgiving and merciful king. And I, I can't see any, any ju- actual justification in Turin. I, all I can see is a character flaw by refusing the, uh, the, the pardon of the king and return to Metagroth. Yeah. I, I, I think maybe it's also the, the one short line you already read this, Michael, but what, when Tolkien writes that he joined himself to a band of houseless and desperate men as could be found in those evil days and their hands were turned against all who came in their paths, elves and men and orcs. So he has been fighting elves and men and orcs you know, as, as an, as a band of outlaws, right? He's, he's the, uh, he, he's the, uh, he's the, the outlaws on horses in the old West firing discriminately and <laughs> robbing right. the trains and right. He's, he's, he's the Jesse character. James gang. Exactly. Yeah, right. And so maybe that's why he's like, no, you can't forgive me because you don't even know what I've done in the last year or two years, however long it was. Hmm. Maybe that's part of it. Okay, so so you're going to go with the he he doesn't believe he can be forgiven then because he's no, definitely not forgiven Probably, himself, yeah. and and yeah. He, there's no hint there's no hint of asking a higher power for forgiveness. Well, here's so, here's what Tolkien right. says. Uh, he says, but in the pride of his heart, Turin yeah. refused the pardon of the king, and the words of Beleg were of no avail mm-hmm. to change his mood. So a part of it's pride for sure. Like he's just he's just going to be. Uh, you know, proud and wrong, you know. <laughs> but luckily, in steps the friend he doesn't deserve, who is the only, in my view, the only hero in this entire story, the real hero of the story, who's Belig Strongbow. So Belig, um, nevertheless, doesn't give up on him. So he goes back to the king, and, and we're introduced for the first time to um, the idea of an evil sword. <laughs> um, Anglachel. Uh, the a sword made of meteorite iron by Ale the Smith, Ale the Dark Elf, and one of two swords made of meteoric iron, uh, and uh, so strong that it can break any other iron. So, basically, you're. Uh, but 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 as Melian says, um, there is malice in this sword. The dark heart of the smith still dwells in it. It will not love the hand it serves. Neither will it abide with you long. So interestingly. Um, this is Tolkien returning to the real source of what we call magic. Um, he took a he took a brief aside uh, in the uh, Baron and Luthien where we had magic everywhere. You get magic and you get magic and everyone gets magic. Um, <laughs> he's the did the Oprah Oprah version of magic. So now he's back to what we what we would regularly call his treatment of magic, which is the heart of the Smith dwelling in a thing that he crafts, which gives it the power that it has, be it evil or good, um, giving it this, you know, whatever abilities it has beyond the natural. In this case, it has quite a few abilities beyond the natural, but um, most of them don't end well. Although it does do one pretty epic deed by the end. But uh, so um, uh, Anglachel is picked up by, chosen as by Belag as his weapon. And he goes back and spends more time with uh, Turin, fights more orcs. I just, and, I just have uh, to say, like, how long is Melian going to be around, like, warning people of things without being listened to ever? 
again um right one and a half <laughs> chapters more just because you <laughs> <Okay>. asked thank you <laughs> but i'm just like really going through this this read here we do it so slowly i remember all these points i'm like million again like why are you not what she warned you of everything guys like, <laughs> what it's the sword this is not a huge deal we're not we're not talking about like giving up your whole kingdom or whatever but maybe just pick a different sword it's it's the one that's not and, as black and literally and like whoever anymore. listens to her i don't think no, anyone ever listens to her right no one takes her advice it's just yeah. she's literally the only Maya you have she's on earth here with you <laughs> and she's incredibly wise and you, no one listens to her. It's so not like she's a Valar. That. I mean, you know. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, you know. Since we're into since we're into Middle Earth credentialism, might as well. Uh... <laughs> uh, oh man! So anyway, I just had to bring that up. That yeah, once again, she doesn't get her due and her uh, 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 the wisdom of Melian, the wise Melian, which Tolkien I think calls her that, right? The, was, yes, million the like wise. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the yeah. name, it's, people. It's in the Just name, listen. but it, apparently nobody said, believes it. So no. we do have anyway. not only her warning, but a cool a cool part um, where she gives. I think this is the first time that Lembus appears in Tolkien. I mean, mm. chronologically, mm. the first time that it appears in his work. So yeah. she gives Belleg, you know, as sort of a counterbalance to Anglachel, um, the this evil but very powerful sword, this malicious sword. Um, she gives him. Lembus, and I quote, and she gave him store of Lembus, the waybread of the elves wrapped in leaves of silver, and the threads that bound it were sealed at the knots with a seal of the queen, a wafer of white wax shaped as a, in a, as a single flower of Telperion, for according to the customs of the Eldalier, the keeping and giving of Lembus belonged to the queen alone. And in, in nothing did Melian show greater favor to Turin than in this gift, for the Eldar had never before allowed men to use this waybread, and seldom did so again. Again, so we, we have Melian as precursor to Galadriel here, obviously, um, mm -hmm. echoing the echoes from the past. Uh, the queen of the elves, a queen terrible and, and beautiful and wise, um, giving Lembus to uh, people who don't deserve it. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. there, there's a. I, I thought that was beautiful. Love that. If you're going to take a stupid sword, at least take the Lumbus with you. Maybe that'll help. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And 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 so he leaves. Right. And I, I love that we now get to encounter probably my favorite character, just because he's so different. I think from any other character that we've met yet. Pay attention, Dan. This is we're we're going to start seeing the reasons why Jonathan likes this story. <laughs> his, his his favorite character, and I quote is meme the dwarf the meme worst the dwarf i know he's just sitting there and say the worst the worst he's, he's, he's not a great okay, guy Morgoth's but the worst he was he's also been wronged so we learned about mean the dwarf where he came from and that he was actually uh before the dwarves of nagrat and belkost came over the mountains the elves of balerion knew not what the others were these dwarves that uh came from let's see for meme came of dwarves that were banished in ancient days from the great dwarf cities of the east so these are the dwarves that were banished because uh, I, I guess maybe they weren't as good as doing dwarven things. Uh, See, that's what I don't think. I don't think so, no. man. I think they're no. banished for moral reasons. Like, you don't get banished because you're like, you're not as good a smith as... Well, you're but just, they became... You're just a well, C minus smith. Right. We're going to no, banish well, you from our kingdom. He does say they became diminished in stature and in smithcraft. So maybe they just weren't, you know... That's a consequence, sure. Right, they were, they they're, were, the, they're they were separated. in detention in high school. They, mm -hmm. they couldn't quite get the shop class right, and so they were just like, you know what, guys? I, uh, I still hold the product banished... of their system. I, I don't think. I think banishment would, is probably has more. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. 
Yeah. Then just, however, you're not as good of a crafter as the I, rest of us. Yeah. I just like that the dwar- the elves, they, they knew not what they were and they hunted them and slew them. Then just, oh, <laughs> I'm just, I think there's something not right about these dwarves. So we're just going to sl- slay them whenever we see them, which is essentially what happens to Meme's son. Uh, not Ibun, uh, the other son, which is, I, I don't remember. Keem. 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 Yep. Keem. Uh, and uh, they just see them and they're running and uh, somebody loses a bow and shoots the dwarf, I'm guessing, in the back as they're running and he makes it to mm-hmm. their cave and and uh, it becomes, as we learn, titled the Cave of Ransom because uh, Heem dies uh, and Turin comes in and says, you know, I would have recalled that that arrow if I could have, but now truly this is the Cave of Ransom. And, and Meme does, you know, say to Turin that, you know, I... He offers a bit of respect to him, I guess you could say, even though he's now a prisoner in a way. But I love this whole interaction that you have with a character that you've never met. Maybe it's because um, it's it's one of those things. There's a whole story to the petty dwarves that we get, just like we do in these other other characters uh, that we get hints of, without it being an entire uh, you know side side quest into who they are but uh it's what makes i think lord of the rings makes the similar and great is that there's a whole story that, that tolkien had in his own head that he gives us a little hint of that we never really hear from uh outside of this here at least that i can remember in any other histories of middle earth uh and uh and we and we find that meme the dwarf is um is kind of uh turin's downfall in a way then too so so maybe it's a good thing they were banished and they should have shot him more i guess i guess uh, well, um, yeah, there is I mean, a there is a the so meme it turns out lives in caves as Jonathan mentioned later named the Baron Donwith Baron Donwith yeah the House of Ransom but it's in this hill called um, Amon Ruth and Ruth and uh, it there's a really cool painting by Ted Naismith which I will attempt to show um, of this so the hill is crowned um, with. Uh, this red saragon that mantled the stone. So, so it's, I guess it's a kind of either lichen or flowering plant of some kind. So anyway, there's a there's a cool uh, there's a cool image from Ted Naismith. Um, Anyhow, yeah, Amon Ruth. It's, a, it's a such a it's such a unique description of a of a of a mountain. I didn't know when I read it until I saw that picture by Ted Naismith. I didn't know what. <laughs> what to uh make of it like I, I couldn't imagine in my head what that actually looks like uh, this is the description of amanuth and as the men of turin's band drew near the sun westering broke through the clouds and fell upon the crown and the saragon was all in flower then one among them said there is blood on the hilltop i was like wait what how does that i don't even, how does that even look so yeah i, I love them uh, and so so um Turin actually makes a speech basically saying, um, I would recall, see, you would recall that shaft, the shaft of the arrow that killed uh, him, um, Meme's son. And he says, uh, now, Baron and uh, Donwith, um, this house shall be called in truth. If I ever come to any wealth, I will pay you a ransom of gold for your son in token of sorrow, though it gladden your heart no more. And Meme um, Rosen tells him that he speaks like a dwarf lord of old, and he marvels at it and basically says, obviously, it doesn't make me happy. Turns out, as we find out, these are the last two petty dwarves, <laughs> or they were three. There, yeah, there's yeah. no more yeah. of them left. There, with them dies their whole sub race of petty dwarves, and probably a good thing, as it turns out. But uh, they, 
allow Turin and his band to stay there and they use it as their base of operations. They make it essentially this outlaw outpost that with Belig, they be, it becomes this much spoken of um, center of great deeds where basically people are fighting back against Morgoth and the land all in the lands all around everyone. Here's the deeds of the two captains of those two captains are of course, Turin and Belig Strongbow. Right, right. And and Turin is now once again wearing the dragon helm of Dor Loman, which, right. uh, which goes before him, but also causes a problem for him. Yeah, slight problem. And But uh, he does name get himself a new name. Like, this is becoming a straight-up like Russian novel where everyone has a new name all the time. Um, because he, so now he names himself and term named himself anew Gorthol, the dread helm, and his heart was high again. I should make a list of all the names that has throughout this series because there are quite a lot. There are so, many Gorthol. Yep. But they um the or so the orcs capture the the uh, meme the dwarf and they make him uh essentially reveal to them the caves. The orcs come at night and slay um, not without a fight, but they end up um, coming upon with surprise and slaying all of Turin's uh, band, um, including, they think, Bel- Belag, and they, they capture Turin and begin to uh, slowly amble their way back to Angband, um, celebrating the fact that they have uh, captured Turin and uh, defeated his, his forces. But they did not kill Belag. Turns out. Belag is there. Yeah. And... Uh... <laughs> Uh, uh, Tolkien writes as uh, when all the silent, when all was silent again, Meme crept out of the shadows of his house, right? As a petty dwarf probably would. And as the sun rose over the mists of Syrian, he stood beside the dead men on the hilltop, but he's perceived not, but he perceived that not all those that lay there were dead. For by one, his gaze returned and he looked in the eyes of Beleg the elf. I love the, the cinematic nature of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of eyes. Yeah, and how the, but the hatred long stored in meme stepped up to Beleg and drew forth a sword and glacle that lay beneath the body of the one that had fallen beside him. Beleg, stumbling up, seized back the sword and thrust it to the dwarf, and meme and terror fled, wailing from the hilltop. And Beleg cried after him, The vengeance of the house of Hador will find you yet. Uh, just mm, foreshadowing and uh, 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 you know, uh, just the enemy, the, the danger between these two races is still so. I don't know. I, I love that it's like they, they've been living together essentially for who knows how long at this point. But yet there's still like it, it, if you create this in a, a longer story and it's there in the children for um, I just I, I've made part of the reason I love it is there's so much going on between all these characters that is under the surface and that comes out of these great moments like this here. That's right. Uh, but so but he was says, a mighty... no. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's what you were reading the same part. Go for it. Oh, but because Beleg was sorely wounded. But but as we learn about many of the characters in Tolkien's world uh, that we read about, there are masters are the greatest at something. And so he was a master of healing and did not die. And he slowly his strength returned. He sought in vain among the dead for Turin, but he didn't not, didn't find him. Right. Uh, he pulled the I'm not dead yet, so he could live yeah. for <laughs> one page more. No, oh, geez, yeah. Put it put it so soundly. But we do meet. Uh, this is one of the reasons I do like this book, too. We need another character that we came across earlier, which is Gwyndor, mm-hmm. whose brother, who, who was a thrall in Angband, but uh, without going into the details, he escaped. Uh, and he's the guy who 
his brother was his arms were chopped off his head was chopped off or his hands his little feet his legs right they're all chopped off in the beginning of the new nathar nor yet and that caused them to run into battle sooner than they should have uh, right. The Near Nithor Noidiad was, in fact, the beginning of the end of the fall of the elves was this guy's fault. I mean, he was reacting yeah. <laughs> in rage. But Gwyndor, yeah. in fact, was and then he was captured and tortured by Morgoth. And he was he found his way out. And, and, and the way Tolkien writes it, it doesn't sound like it was on purpose. It doesn't sound like Morgoth let him go on purpose like some, Morgoth does sometimes. Right. Agreed. Sounds like yes. he, he was actually like the Noldor elves being the masters of delving and everything that they were at craft actually knew these tunnels underneath Angband sometimes better than the orcs. And so sometimes they were, they could actually escape yeah. and looked like Gwyndor did actually escape. And lo and behold, runs into Beleg who um, re-inspires him with hope because Beleg is the real, the only true hero of this story. And mm -hmm. uh, then they go on to rescue in this uh, midnight rescue, which is pretty, some pretty cool, the pretty cool cinematic moment because, um, when they find the camp of the orcs when all in the camp were sleeping Belig took his bow and in the darkness shot the wolf sentinels one by one and silently so you could just see this the cinematic thing where he just goes around in a circle it's like a two minute thing where he's just shooting all of i mean and, it, and he, you gotta you know shots gotta be pretty good to kill him silently with yeah. arrows so he just he kills them all and then they enter the camp then in great peril they entered in and they found turin fettered hand and foot tied to a withered tree and all about him knives that had been cast at him were embedded in the trunk so you can imagine like the party the orcs were having they're like, throwing knives at him while he's they, tied to they a put tree. an apple on his head and we're like we're right get the apple. right keep missing. No. they're like stormtroopers so they apparently can't hit him <laughs> i saw this great meme about stormtroopers <laughs> picture of all these stormtrooper ranks and like standing looking at the camera holding their holding their blasters and the tagline below says a troop of a um uh what was it you know whatever batch of stormtroopers after a fun day of paintballing <laughs> they're, all, <laughs> they're all perfectly <laughs> clean <laughs> yeah. so it, yeah so anyway the stormtroopers of the uh of the of middle earth are the orcs apparently and um but this is um, why so we they, have they millions of warning yeah mm -hmm. they free him um but the 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 blade turns against them i mean in a in a very yeah, they first they carry him out in shackles, well, and then when out. Yeah, yeah. out and up a hill. Then they use Anglakel um, to because Anglakel can break iron, so they break the iron shackles with Anglakel. So, but then Anglakel slips and cuts Belig, and Belig, who was apparently in a swoon or no, cuts, unconscious, cuts Turin, not Belig. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, cuts yeah. Turin. You're right. So yeah. Turin was in a was in a swoon and uh, or yeah. unconscious. Then he comes conscious and dun dun dun. Go ahead, Dan, and, and take it from here. He kills his own friend. The only worthy hero the in the story. The only hero in the story who saves his life from being captured by orcs taken all the way to Morgoth. Yeah. And he turns around and kills him immediately. But not on such, purpose. Such a good story. Mm. <laughs> Sad. But, but the cinematic nature again. But as he stood finding himself free, this is Turin. And ready to sell his life dearly against imagined foes, there came a great flash of lightning above them, and in its light he looked down on Beleg's face. Then Turin stood stone still and silent, staring on that dreadful death, knowing what he had done. And so terrible was his face, lit by the lightning that flickered all about them, that Gwyndor cowered down upon the ground and dared not raise his eyes. 
oh, so many. That's why I mean, there's so much good writing in this story here. That's mm. anyway. Um, so at this point, he falls in the same way that you could say some characters they just fall into a stupor, like they they're 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 psychologically marred, they're wounded, and 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 almost nothing can bring them out of it. Which would would make him a pitiable character to me if he didn't keep coming back and doing stuff over and over again. <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Diplomatically <laughs> put. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, this this is how Tolkien put it. He said, "Thus ended Beleg Strongbow, truest of friends, greatest in skill of all that harbored in the woods of Beleriand in the elder days, at the hand of him whom he most loved." And that grief was graven on the face of Turin and never faded. So he, you know, I think you guys talked about in the last episode, like the the superlatives, like Tolkien says, this is yeah. the best, yeah. this is the worst, this is the. So we learned that Beleg is the truest of friends, and, uh, and has the greatest in skill of all yeah, the harbor in the woods. The person he most loved, it's kills him. Well, it's, it's very true. You never. It, it's not worth talking about the guy who's the second greatest in skill. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you want to talk about the actual guys? Um, so, so uh, let's see. So they walk on, uh, and Gwyndor follows him. Right. They just kind of like walk together without Turin saying anything. Um. Yeah, and they're in the middle of a, a fantastic storm, by the way, which is yeah, why the orcs yeah. the orcs think they're long gone. By the time the storm's over, the orcs leave and go back to Angband empty-handed. It turns out that Turin and Gwyndor are still not far away up the slope because Turin won't move at first. But then they slowly wander over the land, like you said, Jonathan, and uh, yeah. Turin doesn't say anything for the longest time. Yeah, it doesn't say how long exactly that is, but it's it's days, many days, at least for the distance that they're traveling. Uh, mm-hmm. And what does he do once he finally, once, once it's broken and it's broken by the waters of Ulmo, which again, the healing mm-hmm. waters in a way that, that, and I think that's important uh, since Very in the water, so. the sound of water again is the echoes of the music of the Ainur um, and Turin Nelton does heal him that water. It, it does heal him. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Of his madness. It's, yeah. It says no, specifically. Madness, and, yes. he, and he was healed of his madness. Right. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. He, suddenly he casts himself down. Uh, after drinking the water, and his tears were unloosed at last, and he was healed of his madness. And as Dan likes to put it, point out, what does he do? The very first thing he does is he writes Sings. a song. He sings. Right. Is that Dan? <laughs> I thought it was me. Oh, no, it's both. I'm always know. pointing out yeah. song, song. Yeah, Dan took Dan yeah, took up my banner, my banner the no, last uh, last two yeah. um, episodes we had. But it is true. Even in this, the saddest and darkest of Tolkien's tales, there's a big song. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, and this is where we learn uh, that uh, you know, uh, where, where the blade is. Well, let's see. Uh, Gwyndor gave the sword and Glachal into his hands, into Turin's hands, and he knew that it was heavy and strong and had great power. But his blade was black and dull, and his edges blunt. Gwyndor said, "This is a strange blade, and unlike any that I've seen in Middle Earth, it mourns for Beleg even as you do." Again, it's an interesting thing. It's like looking at the blade. He's like, "Huh, the blade's a little sad." Um, just interesting Um, but be comforted for I return to Nargothrond of the house of Fenarf and you shall come with me and be healed and renewed Uh, and uh, and they decide to go together back to Nargothrond uh, Mm. right after Turin Turin, Turin does ask him about Turin he's like hey you were in Angband like uh, did you see my dad 
And uh, he's like, no, but the rumor of him runs through Angband that he still defies Morgoth and Morgoth has laid a curse upon him and all his kin that I do believe, said Turin, which we do too, for sure. Yeah, (laughs) turns out we do. It is interesting. I love that you brought up the the fact that the blade is sad because we we will find out the blade will actually speak before the end of this tale. And it turns out that Gwyndor was right, or at least according to the blade, he was right. Yeah. So so anyway, so we're going to end here, which is uh, them them um, uh, the final line. Thus did Turin come to Nargothrond, right? So there's a break right there in the chapter, uh, and we're going to move on. Probably do another third or so uh, next week. Moving into this, uh, just a lot to talk about. Um, any any other thoughts that you have on this chapter, other than why in the world I like this more than any, any other story in the Silmarillion? Well, we'll yeah, we're going to talk about that. that. Extended podcast. Bit. Yep. Yep. Um, what else is there to talk about? I I love how this chapter reinforces my belief that dwarves are not worth the time. That's awesome. <laughs> They're not worth the time. Gimli yeah, is not never, worth the time. Should have never been made in the first place. If, oh, if, well. if dwarves had never been made and there was no Gimli, there would have been a better elven version of Gimli. So you know, <laughs> someone else would have had to step up. So anyway, no, I I I um yeah. Yeah, I, I find, to, go, I find go back. it go ahead. The, the, the delving into the curse to be fascinating. So Tolkien, remember, ends the last chapter uh, as it's as it's put together. The last chapter after the Near Nair Thornoid yet uh, with the capture and curse and basically Morgoth's um, fury at Hurin and his people and Morgoth. And then this, this chapter begins with Morgoth's own or not not at the very beginning, but it talks about how Morgoth's thought was ever bent towards these people. So basically we have a whole chapter and we're about to get into the worst part of it, which we haven't even got into, into, you know, essentially Turin's arch nemesis in this chapter who hasn't been, who hasn't made an appearance yet, but um, there's a, um, the whole chapter is about, and the whole story is about this curse where it's Tolkien exploring the depths of a curse from a Valar um, onto Vala, onto um, on, on a man, and it's really yeah. so. It's really fascinating that that's the topic. Like you know, of all the great deeds in Middle Earth, we're following the effects of a curse, which of course they lead to tremendous other sorrows and epic events. That so I'm not I'm not knocking them for that, but it is a very interesting topic to turn to after all this. Although perhaps appropriate, because I guess we have some chapters about. Um, essentially the the consequences of the fall of the Noldor and the corruption from sin, their sin, um, yeah, Fionor's sin and the sin of his people, and, um, and the, turning away from Valar. And the, now we have, but this corruption wasn't brought on by the men themselves. It wasn't, Hurin didn't do anything wrong. Right. He didn't, he didn't, yeah. he was, he was just captured and then tortured and then cursed by Morgoth. So very interesting a rather pessimistic chapter in a lot of ways. Yeah, I I, I did a quick look up. Uh, there's essentially one point in the letters of J.R. Tolkien where he mentions Turin, and this is a letter 131 to Milton Waldman. Uh, uh, 131 which, is my, one of my favorite letters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, written around 1951, uh, talking about the other stories that he's written, and uh, he writes this, there are other stories almost equally full in treatment and equally independent and yet linked to the general history. There is the children of Hurin, the tragic tale of Turin Turinbar and his sister Niniel, of which Turin is the hero. 
Hmm. A figure who might be said by people who like that sort of thing, though it is not very useful, to be derived from elements in Sigurd the Volsung, Oedipus, and the Finnish Kullervo. Um, and that's the only other mention. So he does mention, right, Oedipus. Uh, I'm not as familiar with the, the, the particulars of Sigurd or the Kullervo. So I'm sure, uh, I think, but, but, uh, but like, like it's where we need Austin Freeman from last week to come and talk to us about like, mm-hmm. okay, so this is exactly in what was in the clear bone, what was in the. Yeah. I was one. trying to look this up because I was reading it going, what the heck am I reading? And I, I read, <laughs> I, I read that, uh, there's a chart somewhere. I don't know if it's on Wikipedia or some, some Tolkien website, but there's a mm-hmm. chart that compares Turin to all of those ones you just mentioned. And mm-hmm. it's like, one of the, one of the columns is kills a dragon, uh, you know, uh, has has incest, you know, all the all these different like <laughs> aspects of the story. Kills their friend, uh-huh. brings brings destruction to their people, and it's like out of all of those Kalervo, that that Finnish myth you mentioned, he they match up exactly, except for the killing of a dragon part. So I yeah, that was and that's it, and that's actually from Beowulf. Like Beowulf right. dies killing a dragon. So that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well. Uh, any, anyway, uh, it's it, it's also interesting that it's the first story Tolkien essentially notes as being a, another complete tale because a lot of his were incomplete. Um, mm. Which he probably knew selling this one as a story would be a a a, a tough sell. Right, right. But isn't that interesting that he put so much effort in? Like, I mean, you can see in the narrative details here. There's a narratively, there's a lot more effort put in in this tale. What an interesting counterpart to the Lord of the Rings it would have been if he had published it as a separate set of works. Um, and but I think you're right, Jonathan. He probably knew his audience well enough to know that probably wouldn't get that much play. <laughs> yeah. After the Lord of the Rings, you're like, yep. Yeah, so we're gonna have a story here about uh, of despair. Guy... First we did hope, Ooh. and now we're gonna do despair. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, they, 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 hey, you know, spoiler alert, the dragon is killed in the end. So there's that. <laughs> but then you have the cast yourself off the edge, the, the Turin is free. Anyway, so we, we can go. We'll go into those details probably in two weeks when we finish that chapter. So when, All right, when we so, finish this, yeah. but first we have a lot more names that Hurin gives to him. I'm sorry, that Turin gives to himself. <laughs> okay. We have yeah. so many more names. Yeah. So yeah, anyway. we should try and create a chart of that. Uh, all right. So uh, before we jump into the extended podcast for our patrons slash subscribers slash slash people who like us more than you do, um, is uh, we're going to jump into if you like Tolkien. Last week, I know a lot of you listen um, and you, you might have skipped the, the interview we had uh, with uh, John Trent and John Carswell of the Tolkien wrote John Trent from Bounding into Comics. Last week, we had Austin Freeman, who uh, wrote a book called Tolkien Dogmatics, which um, Sounds so, sounds like you might be getting yourself into things that you might not want to like read about in in a casual way, but I think so many parts of this book, like it's broken up into so many great segments that so many parts of this book give you so much information. I don't know, Michael, is there? Do you have a good way of like kind of giving us a what's the, other than reading the back of the book? Like, so, so my my take on this book, and I think I might have even mentioned it in the podcast, is that this is one of the best Tolkien references reference mm, books. Yes. So if you the Austin Freeman is a closet historian. He's a he's a theologian in historian's clothing, and um, and so there the, he the way he puts this together is so well researched, and he references so many of Tolkien's works, basically everything Tolkien ever wrote down and was published of any kind, letters to other books, to poems, and everything else, that I found 
I, I did I did a fair bit of of uh, testing on him on on various quotes where I actually went back to the sources and like okay so is his interpretation here <laughs> is his reference correct so did a little fact checking on my own um, spot at, at various spots always checked out the guy does great work um, so if you ever want to know what Tolkien thought on the topic of on a topic of for example his angelic hierarchies he, you Austin Freeman's book will will lay that out explicitly what did tolkien think about the idea of corruption and the fall what did tolkien think about what the the basically the three great evils that he lays out in the in lord of the rings um deceit domination and idolatry which are the three and that uh and and that austin very um, effectively gives evidence for so basically everything that has a sort of a theological context if you want a reference to that in tolkien's work austin's book is the best that's right. the best I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And I know what, uh, what Dan got out of it was that Tolkien is a Calvinist. So <laughs> Which, actually though, uh, Austin did write a paper, right? Didn't he do, didn't he say do the presentation on Tolkien and Calvin too, about how mm-hmm. some of those, there's some alignment there. So, it, so he said it did, it did, um, it did inspire yeah. me to, to think of like, if I had my free, free enough free time, I could do some, yeah. I, I would love to write a counterpoint to that. Well, so, now, now, so. now that you mention it, you kind of see a lot of that, tension in this chapter of Turin that there's this curse that's put upon him that's just it determines his whole life before he even does anything good or bad and I think that's interesting I don't know if that's necessarily Calvinism but it's but there's well in a a way there's something that is put upon him that he has no control of and he, he his free will in this chapter he uses it to just to curse himself and and name himself terrible things and um be, be stubborn and proud and resist forgiveness. And it's, it's very interesting. So, so would you call him then a, a vessel of wrath made for destruction? Is that, is that, is that, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> An appropriate um, know. reference. Uh, I'm not well, saying it's one to one, but it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go read the book. It's good. We'll put a link down below. Tolkien Dogmatics. You can get it at uh, Lexampress, L-E-X-H-A-M-P-R-E-S-S.com, which I think is the best place to get it at because, uh, uh, it has a digital copy too, and you're not giving money to Amazon, but you can get it at Amazon too. Uh, all right, so let's jump into the extended podcast. We'll talk a little bit more about this. Uh, we'll see uh, what questions we have. Uh, I don't know if we had any particulars from uh, our Discord chat because we're talking about so many other things. Um, and uh, but to get that, you can go to slash patron. You can uh, uh, for four bucks a month, like I said earlier, you know, come a member, check it out. If you don't like it, cancel it, and uh, you won't have anything out of your pocket because you only get charged after the first month. So anyway, all right, guys, let's Bye jump into the list. extended podcast, and uh, we will cast you aside as we do so. <laughs>